All right, if you will, please open your Bibles to the book of Revelation. We are taking a break from our study in the book of Jonah because we have said that this year I am going to be using the communion messages to um, work through the evaluations that Jesus Christ did in the book of in the book of Revelation. Is that better? We on now, Brian? So we might even work with communion a little bit different in October. I was looking through the schedule because next week Carl is going to be here. I'm going to be out of town with my daughter, and I'm encourage you because Carl has a very evangelistic message. Maybe there's somebody that you would like to bring to come and hear the gospel and then take them out to lunch or then go out to the Mexican festival. So looking forward to Carl sharing with you. But this morning we are in the book of Revelation chapter 3 verses 1 to 6 and we're doing this again as in preparation for communion because remember as communion we're taught in 1 Corinthians 11 we are to remember Jesus' death on the cross, and we're to remember that his death provided salvation for us as his work alone saves. And so as we look at the purposes of communion, it's to do an evaluation of ourselves and to remember Jesus Christ, and we'll do that. And so it's going to be always incredible as you focus on Jesus, what he did for us, but then to make an evaluation, that self-examination, because God wants us to not treat our salvation lightly. And so, so far, we have looked at the church at Ephesus, the church that forgot its passion to love, its obedience in love, its practice of love, its love that it had at first. I believe it was a love for God and love for others. And then we looked at the church at Smyrna, it was a faithful church, it endured persecution, and we looked at the traits of one that would stand up under persecution. Then we looked at Pergamum, the church that compromised doctrinally, and then Thyatira, the church that compromised in practice. And we don't want to be a compromising church. We don't want to be a compromising individual. Well, this morning we come to Sardis. It's, it's, it's a dead church. Look at verses 1 to 6. Sardis is a, um, the fifth church. Pick up in verse 1, Revelation 3. It says, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. And we said, that's Jesus who is making these evaluations. He says, I know your deeds, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Verse 2, wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you've received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I come to you. Verse 4. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And this is Verse 6, this is why we know this goes out to all the churches through all time. So as we come to this, what we see here is a church that is dead. It is mainly dead. You have some people that are alive, but the, meaning it's filled, we're going to see, with unbelievers, but people who are dead. And what we'll see 
And what I know underlying what drives, I believe, Sardis's dead spirit was a practice or a characteristic of being arrogant. Arrogant is when you think the world of yourself. Arrogance is something that you promote self and there's no need for others, there's no need for anyone else because you are self-sufficient. The Bible warns much against arrogance and you'll see that Sardis was a very arrogant city. The Bible says knowledge makes arrogant but love edifies. The Bible teaches love is not arrogant. And 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, teaches that in the end times, the evil trait that evil men will be known by is their arrogance, at least one of the traits. And God warns the church not to be arrogant by saying, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. That's the idea of being arrogant. Well, Sardis was a very arrogant church because it was a very arrogant city. And it led to their downfall. Let me tell you what I found historically about the city of Sardis. To a striking degree, one author writes, and this was in um, Colin J. Hemmer's um, study, he said, to a striking degree, the history of the church at Sardis paralleled that of the city. Founded about 1200 B.C., so about three, 400 years after the Exodus, Sardis had been one of the greatest cities in the ancient world. The capital of the very wealthy Lydian kingdom. Um, Croes lives on saying, there was an, a famous old writer, and he said, to be rich, to be as rich as in Sardis, okay? Aesop, remember Aesop fables? They believe that Aesop was from this town. He may have um, been, may have done much of his writing from Sardis. Sardis' wealth came, came from gold taken from nearby Pactolus River. Archaeologists have found hundreds of crucibles used for refining gold in the ruins of Sardis. Gold and silver coins were apparently first mint, minted at Sardis. The city also benefited from its location at the western end of a royal road that led to the Persian capital of Susa, and from its proximity to other important trade routes, it, it became a center for wool production and the garment industry. In fact, Sardis claimed to have discovered how to dye wool. And I think, I want, I'm telling you all these little fun facts because I want you to think, as we're looking at these old cities, they're not just like where they're, they're dwelling in caves and they're so archaic, they can't do anything. Um, Sardis was a city that was built on a hill. And because it was built in such a location, it was very uh, uh, impregnable in the sense that you couldn't attack it. And the, the reality was is that anyone that tried to attack it often lost. Well, what happened with Sardis is they became so laissez-faire, thinking no one can ever beat us, that two times in history, enemies were able to scale the mountain and beat them, and it became, became like well-known around the world. Wow, the impossible happened. Someone can hit the lights for me. I want to show you some slides of Sardis. I think that hopefully will give you a picture in this day and age. And my sadness is that I've got, I had a video for you, but I don't have that um, because our PowerPoint, we're going to upgrade it. But I had a video to show you. My laser's working. Brian, what do I point? Do you see someone, they, they did their laser against an airplane this week? Oh, come on. Are we going to work? 
Okay. So this is Sardis. It's called the City of the Living Dead. Brian, can we... I'm pointing... If you've got a laser, don't point it at an airplane. Did you hear about the guy that pointed his laser at an airplane? And, the, and the, the, they're going to find him and they're going to arrest him? Okay. Hey, we're going, we're going, we're going. I know we're going. I want you to see these because this city is it's really well-developed. One more time. We had this in practice it worked, believe me. So we're. Uh, no, no go, Brian. What's that? Okay. Turn the lights on. <laughs> Let me tell you about this city. If, if, I, could have, if I could have showed you, it, it sits on a hill. It was it's a very large city. It, it, it had a, the, an acropolis almost larger than the Parthenon. It had a gymnasium that was phenomenal. And I'll work to try to maybe come back a couple weeks. We'll try to get you the light, the pictures. But it almost had like a, think of almost like a football field of um, a football field of... Um, places where you, they had athletic contests. And it also had um, a Jewish synagogue, and the detail within the floor was phenomenal. And the floor was filled with these tiles that, you know, you'd go into some of these tile companies today, and you'd say, wow, I'd like something very expensive. They had that quality there. So all of that to say was that Sardis was a very prominent city, very advanced. It wasn't just an, an archaic old city. So look at verse 1. It says, To the angel in Sardis write, He was the seven spirits of God, and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. The idea of a name is that, that that's their reputation. They have a reputation. They, they're well known for being this Christian church. I know that you're, I, you, you have deeds. And so perhaps they were one of the most prominent churches in all of Asia. And so he says, I know that your deeds, you have a name that you're alive. The idea that you have life, inner activity, but the reality is, is that you are dead. And I'll say it here, I'll say it again. When you're looking like you're alive, but you're dead, you're nothing but a walking zombie. You are dead. And you know, today in our culture, zombies and stuff like that is it's one of the most prominent things in the entertainment industry to have the people be the walking dead i think there's even a tv show called the walking dead and so he says in verse two wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die for i have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my god 
So here comes this exhortation. Here comes this thing that, 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 that tells you to come out of death. Well, what if you don't think you're you're, you are dead? How do you know? Because the Bible talks about the fact, interestingly enough, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, that says that we are spiritually dead. And let me have you take your sermon notes, flip them over, and let me just ask you these five questions that are very much tied to, you know, the questions you would, you would ask if you were a medical examiner. And, and let me challenge you as we go through this before we get to the religious prescription as to what God wanted you to do. So number one, do you move for God? The idea is if something's not moving, there's no life in it. And the idea is if you look at yourself, are you someone that's alive or dead for God? Dead people don't move right? You go into a funeral home, you see a dead person in the casket, they're not going to move unless it's some type of comedy movie or something where the dead person comes alive or some type of horror thing. But the reality of it is dead people don't move. So look at yourself. Do you move for God? Do you have quiet times on your own? Do you have service for God? Do you have obedience for God that no one else sees? It's all areas of life. Is there movement for God in your life that you're doing things spiritually? Second question, does, God's breath, does, does God breathe life into you? Is, is God's breath in you? Because people who are alive breathe. You know, isn't that what they do when someone is, like, knocked out and they say, well, is he alive? And you'll take a mirror and you'll put it down on um, real close to the nose or real close to the mouth to see if they're creating some fog there. Well, the, the reality of it is, is that is a good test. Is the Holy Spirit, the breath of life, operative in your life? Ephesians 5 says, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. There's nine traits. Are those attributes operative in your life? So challenge yourself. Because a person that is not having the Holy Spirit in their life doesn't have God's breath in their life. Third trait is, do you eat God's food? The Bible says, long for the pure milk of the word so that you may grow in regards to your salvation. You know, someone that's sick, what do they do? They don't eat. And so ask yourself, am I honestly taking in the word of God? Is it something that I do not just on a Sunday? I mean, if you just ate one day a week, you could say to yourself, oh my goodness, you're not going to be very healthy. So are you regularly taking in the word of God? Are you taking time to study on your own. Read the Bible on your own. Listen to messages outside of just Sunday. Are you eating the Word of God? Number four, are you growing spiritually? Because if something isn't growing, it's not alive, right? It's not usually healthy. You know, say that plant. (laughs) Look at that plant. It's dead. It's not growing anymore. Well, the Bible talks about, as I said, you take in the Word of God so that you may grow. And so there should be advancing. You say, I just keep struggling with the same thing. Um, I keep practicing when I'm struggling. You may struggle, but you may not, in, in your growth, you may not practice it. But I mean, you're still practicing your sin. You've got a problem. Um, somebody comes and says, you know, I just don't see any growth in me. Well, that is a concern. Number five, does God touch your life? And the idea is when God touches your life, it moves. You you touch someone that's alive, they're going to have a reaction. And so as God touches you through his word, his spirit, other people, does it impact you? Because if it is, then you're alive. You know, someone touches me from behind. I don't have to see them, but I know they've touched me. So 
here is the evaluation. If you look and you say to yourself, do you move for God? Does God breathe life in you? Does, do you eat God's food? Do you grow spiritually? Does God touch your life? If you say, yeah, I see these things, then that's good indication that you're alive. But if you're saying to yourself, wow, I don't see any of that, you might be spiritually dead. And you say, well, I see some movement, then maybe you're not as healthy as you should be. So turn those sheets over and let's look again at verse 2 because there are five commandments. This is what you need to do. Number one, you need to wake up. And the idea here, number one, is wake up. It's get alert. And you say, well, how do you wake yourself up? I heard this week, uh, they, they did a study, or last week, if you, do, um, if, you, if you hear an alarm and you hit the snooze and you keep hitting that snooze and you keep hitting that snooze, you're going to be more tired. So those who hear the alarm and just jump out of bed, you arouse yourself, you get yourself awake, you are the ones that are going to be more alert for the day. Well, isn't it ironic? God says, wake up. God says, spiritually, start to be alert. Check your salvation. Look at your life spiritually. Say to yourself, wow, I need to be aware of what's going around me spiritually. I want to be sensitive to your spirit, God. Wake up. This is a present tense imperative. This is a command. We need to wake up, and you need to wake up right away. Second command is strengthen yourself in the truth. Look at verse 2. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain. To, to strengthen means to make firm, to make establish. And, and I always struggled with this. What do you mean the things that remain? Well, here, this is what this means, okay? Strengthen the things that remain. Today, you know, you'll go into some churches and... and in the 1920s, 1930s, many of the Protestant churches, mainline Protestant churches, they had really great doctrinal statements. But you go in there today, you know, the pastor might open the Bible up and he might tell stories for 15 minutes and then close the Bible, never even reading the Bible or maybe just reading one verse or never explaining the Bible and that's it. And you say, well, that's a dead church. It's not a church living for God. Okay, so what, what remains is that church, even though it doesn't, might doesn't like, deal with salvation and doesn't deal with end times or doctrine. You might see pictures about Jesus. You might still see that they have an old doctrinal statement. They might even have old tracts there. God is saying, take that little bit of truth that's still out there and then act on it, establish it, build on that. That's what he's saying. And so if in your life you say, you know, all I know is a little bit about the gospel, that which is what remains, strengthen that, act on it, firmly establish it. And that's what we always need to do as a church. We need to always be building on the truth. But this is for someone that's spiritually dead. Strengthen it. Third command, okay, is remember the truth. Wake up, strengthen the things that remain which are about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of God. And then the fifth, third command is verse 3. So remember what you've received and heard it. So the idea of simply is take what you've heard, take what you've got, bring it to mind. Bring it to mind so that you act on it, all right? You know, we always think about how God says he doesn't remember our sins. Well, it's not that God has a, a foolish memory. It's that when God, God thinks of them, he doesn't act on them. Well, this is the similar concept, but you're to act on it. You're to remember it so that you can act on it. Bring things to mind. Wow, I need to be patient, kind, not jealous, not bragging. Wow, I need to be evangelistic. Wow, I need to be in service. Wow, I need to do something for God. So remember what you've received and keep it. And then um, 
the fourth command is to keep it. And the idea is tend to it, practice it, put it into play. And then finally, the fifth command is repent. And repent means to stop going the way you're going and to go a new way. You know, confess the sin. Look at your life. Stop sinning. This is what you are to do. It's real simple what you are to do. Five commands. I put them on your sheets. I didn't have you have any fill in the blanks this morning because I want to make sure that you're clear. You're to wake up, check your salvation. If you're not saved, get saved. If, if you've been sick spiritually, rouse yourself up. Get yourself going. See, I can't tell whether you know, everyone in the church is alive in the spiritually or dead. Everyone is going to be considered an unbeliever. But let's put it that way. God just gives these commands. He says to the whole church, and some people might have been slipping into the death. So it's wake up, strengthen that which is remaining, take the spiritual truth that's in your life, act on it, remember that truth, bring it to mind, keep it, put it in the practice, and through this, stop going away of, uh, of a sinful lifestyle. Look at the warning in verse 3. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. And this is the promise of coming of the return of Jesus Christ. I will come like a thief, and you don't know what hour I will come to. You don't know when it's going to come. And you say, Sardis. Well, Sardis was 2,000 years ago. These people are dead, right? So you don't, nobody knows even when death is going to come to them, physical death. So verse 4, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The clothes that we are pictured here in is like the righteousness robes. I think like in the book of Zechariah, the prophet Joshua was given clean clothes to indicate his righteousness. And so there were some people who were genuinely saved. And you can see this in a church. Sometimes you go to a church and you say, well, these people are, you know, that's a dead church. But yeah, I talked to a few people and it seems like they're really on with the gospel. They're really on with the Bible. They, they seem to believe. And you'll see that a lot in a lot of Protestant mainline churches, that, uh, that the, 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 overall the church is dead, but there are some people who still are practicing their faith. And so that's what he says. God, God says, I know there are some people who are alive. And then the blessing, verse 5, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Um, you're in the book of life. You're not going to be erased from it. It's nothing where you can lose your salvation, just your name's going to stay in the book of life. And so verse 6 ends up, this is for churches of all times. If you have an ear, hear. Hear what he says to the churches. Okay? And so today, are you a walking zombie? <laughs> are you somebody that is, you look alive, but the reality is, is that you are spiritually dead. And so I'm telling you, follow this prescription. If you look at your life and you say, wait, there's a lot in my life that when I look at those characteristics of the dead, man, that's just too descriptive of me. Follow this prescription. And as we get ready now to do communion, I want you to challenge you in the sense of saying, what kind of evaluation am I going to do for my life? Am I going to make sure that I am spiritually active? Don't look at yourself like Sardis who said, no one could ever attack me. No one could ever attack us as a city. No one's ever going to hurt me spiritually. I'm pretty strong. But well, the reality of it is, is all of us have to be humble and not be arrogant. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for giving us this evaluation through Jesus Christ of the church of Sardis. I pray, Lord, that today 
the simple truth, the simple reality will be something that impacts all of us. For God, none of us should ever be arrogant. All of us need to be humble. All of us need to challenge ourselves through these five commands and the awareness of whether we're walking zombies or not. I pray, God, that you bless, that all today could be strengthened because of this evaluation. In Jesus' name, amen.